Changing the Racial Diversity on FTSE Boards The Parker Review displayed the status of racial diversity on boards in the UK and set targets. Progress in appointing directors with a racial and ethical background is slow. And targets that were set by the Parker Review for the UK are at risk of being missed. A group of senior leaders has come together and is committed to taking action to increase racial and ethical diversity in their businesses. What are the challenges they face and how have they overcome them? Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk with Richard Dinetto from the CBI about increasing racial and ethical diversity on FTSE boards. As our loyal listeners know, we aim to inspire, share good practice and offer ideas about how you can create more effective and higher performing boards. Richard heads up the initiative Change the Race Ratio. He's close to the over 90 signatories and understands the challenges in initiating change. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Richard, fantastic to have you. Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. Thank you, Sabine. Welcome. It's great to be here. Let's put our discussion a bit in context. What's the current status of ethical diversity on FTSE boards? The Parker Review into Ethnic Diversity in UK Boards was published in 2016. However, since then, little, little progress has been made in implementing its recommendations. So recent updates of the Parker Review reveal that with just months to go, so at the end of this year, 19 of the FTSE 100 companies still do not have a minority ethnic representation on their boards. And when you look at the data for the FTSE 250, the data is a little bit older, but actually the situation looks a little worse. So 69% of the FTSE 250 companies analysed by the Parker Review have no ethnic diversity on their boards. And that really isn't the full picture because there are a number of firms that didn't respond within the FTSE 250. And when you look at black participation, and as we know, black colleagues face the biggest barriers, um, this rings true for the FTSE 100. So recent research by Green Park mm. shows that there are no black chairs or chief execs in the FTSE 100. And whilst we can see through Parker that progress has been made, ethnic minorities are often being promoted into what they've termed the corporate sidelines. So into chief marketing officers, chief HR officers, exco level roles for DNI. And these historically have not been the career history of chairs and chief execs of FTSE 100 firms. So you have the initiative, Change the Race Ratio. What is the thinking behind this initiative? What's the motivation? So in 2019, CBI appointed Lord Curran Bellamoria as vice president and president-elect to the CBI. So Curran was very soon as president in 2020. And Curran was the first ethnic minority to hold this role within the organisation in our over 50-year history. Mm. And Don Curran's appointment as VP, so in 2019, he was really clear that he wanted to use his presidency as a platform to improve ethnic minority representation in boards of the UK's largest businesses. You know, he'd seen the glass ceiling. Um, it, clearly, he's, he's smashed through it, but has seen the obstacles that you know, were put in his way to uh, progress his career. So in October last year, Change the Race Ratio 
was launched alongside 14 founding business partners, including the likes of Aviva, Brunswick, Russell Reynolds, Schroders, um, and Unilever, to name but a few. In launching the campaign with, with our founders was really critical to our success. You know, this campaign is a movement. It's a movement of business leaders saying, now is time to change. And I publicly commit to taking these actions. We've created a peer group where business leaders can join the safe space. They can ask questions. They can share ideas and challenges so that uh, we can all progress more quickly together than we could do apart. So what does success really look like? What would be good progress? Well, I'll, I'll go with great progress first. So in short, you know, great progress looks like the end of the all white boardroom. And I think success for us looks like you know, all FTSE 100s, all FTSE 250 firms becoming signatories of change to race ratio. And if that happens and they play an active role in our community and join, you know, and see this as a movement, not a piece of virtue signaling, we'll have at least one ethnic minority um, in all FTSE 100s by the end of this year and for FTSE 250 by the end of 2024. Those are the Parker targets. We'll see racial and ethnic participation Exco and Exco minus one will have substantially increased by the end of 2024. Many companies, many more companies will be setting uh, black participation targets and all FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 will be publishing on an annual basis their ethnicity pay gaps, their representation targets, plans and progress. And I think you know, by then, that means we'll have had, you know, created a culture where diversity can thrive and I think seen the more social role that business can play and that duty that larger firms have got to really encourage diversity down their supply chain and through their suppliers. I mean, I see now when I conduct these board evaluations, diversity and inclusion is, is really on the agenda. And a lot of boards have really good intentions. So have your signatories. I mean, they are now fantastic organizations, household names signed up to the initiatives. So they all have good intentions, but we all know that initiating real change and making things happen is always a different story, of course. What are the challenges you hear most often about? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think uh, you know, it's important to acknowledge that you know, all signatories, in fact, all businesses are at different stages and the challenge will vary on you know, size, sector and geographical location. However, I think for me, through conversations that I've had, the, you know, three enduring challenges prevail. You know, one is this fear of doing or saying the wrong thing. You know, a few years ago, Dr. Doyen coined the term race fluency. And you know, having confidence to talk about race isn't just for the board, but it's one they can't shy away from either. Mm. Um, you know, they need to become more confident. And for me, this applies to white colleagues as well as it does for people with lived experience. For example, just because I'm of Asian heritage doesn't mean that I understand the lived experience of a black person in the UK and feel confident to talk about it. I think secondly, you know, the thing I hear is we'd like to improve the diversity of our boards, but we just can't find the candidates. Mm. <laughs> And, uh, I heard this very you, often as well. You, you, you scoff, but it is, a, it is a common one. And, and third is data. Yeah, the absence of really good data or representation means that businesses don't have a clear idea of, of the issue they're trying to solve and how the changes you know, impact minority groups as a whole and you know, individual minority groups. And the third one? The third one being data. So the absence of really good data or representation means that businesses don't have a clear idea of the issue they're trying to solve and how changes impact minority groups. 
So when you hear these challenges, can you give our listeners maybe some really good real-life examples how organizations have overcome these challenges? Yes, absolutely. So I think when you look at race fluency, there are obviously many things that you can do. But one thing that we're hearing some really good progress on from signatories is this concept of reverse mentoring. You know, progressive leaders are actively seeking out opportunities to listen to and to better understand the experience of ethnic minorities, both in, in their workplace, but also in the society as a whole. This helps the leaders to better understand the barriers minority groups face, a safe space to ask questions, build their understanding. And it's also you know, a really good development opportunity for the, you know, the person doing mentoring in this situation. They can often have some really high impact development conversations, which can lead to an informal sponsorship type of relationship. So how is this done? Because we all know, you know, again, when I'm doing these board evaluations, it's so difficult to get an hour interview in the diaries. Uh, oh, absolutely. I think it takes yeah. you know, the need for it to be a priority. And I think you know, we all get done what's at the top of our to-do list and the priority. So I think it's about carving out time. We, we can't, as a leader of a business, we can't be too busy to listen to the minority groups that are within our organization. So I think we can find the time. It's just about how important we feel the issue is. So what do these busy executives who signed up for your initiative, how do they make the time? Do they devote certain slots to it? Do they launch a big initiative? Do they proactively ask their assistants to schedule these conversations? Well, it's a range of all of those, all of those things. But I think, in, you know, we've launched the campaign in COVID times. So actually getting 25 chief execs round the table, you know, around a virtual table for a one-hour session. We're asking a lot less time than if we were to, you know, drag them all down to London to sit in a specific place at a specific mm. time. So actually, I think it's been a real benefit and the ability to, you know, reach and to have more mass communication has really, has really helped. And, you know, look, we, we found the time to have this conversation. And when you put it as a priority, when you know you've got those commitments to make, business leaders are finding time to make it happen. Fantastic. One concrete example. Come on, give us another one. Um, so if we look at, you know, we don't have the right candidates, we can't find them. So yeah, yeah. You know, boards who get this right, they've you know, simply made sure they're ready to introduce diversity into their boardroom. And they're clear about why they're doing this. And they're doing this because you know, they want the right skills around the table. They don't want a board member to be the focus for everything about race and ethnicity. So what do they do? They have diverse slates because they brief search firms on what they want. And they're selecting their search firms on the basis of their diversity credentials. So when you're looking at your next slate for a NED, well, who did you use and why did you use them? And what's their track record of diversity? And has anybody in the organisation actually asked them? I think that's you know, really critical. But I think also what, what came out of some recent conversations we had in the Chief Exec Forum is this principle of a board observer, so a voice without a vote. And the organisations that have done this were able to bring in you know, more diverse voices. They didn't have to wait for a board slot to come up. They could offer a 12-month programme for a board observer to come in you know, sit with the board, get a bit of mentoring from the chair or you know, one of the heads of the chairs of the Remco, for example. And it gives those candidates that perhaps don't have the FTSE 100 or 250 experience that exposure 
to what it means to be a, a NED for, for a listed business. And it gives that, that board the diversity of thought it's looking for. And ultimately, what we've found is that, that those people going through that board observer role have either gone and taken NED positions where they've been observer or have taken yeah. NED positions elsewhere. Well, fantastic. Do you have another one for us? So on, on data, there's no, there's no magic bullet, but it's just about getting started. I think businesses worry that, oh, employees won't fill out the form because we rely on self-disclosure or the, the results just won't be very good. Well, the latter isn't a very good reason to not do something because you can only change what you know. So firms that have got data collection right have put the basics in place. You know, a leader who talks about race within the workplace, employee resource groups that are in place, you know, a basic race action plan with intent and actions in place that's up to date. And I think that's really crucial. If you've set out a bunch of principles, some targets, some plans that you're going to do about race and you did that two years ago and you haven't updated it and you haven't gone back to the workforce about how you're doing on it, actually, when you next ask them something about race, they're going to be really less likely to engage. You're like, well, well, what's different? What's changed? Why am I going to do this now? So make sure so those hygiene factors are in place. And all employees, including you know, white colleagues, need to know, well, why are you collecting the data? Who will see the data? What will you do with it? What decisions will this inform? Mm. Uh, so once you have that, you know, then actually you have the trust in the workforce. And, and I've seen, I was just talking to a signatory who's recently joined and they started their data collection journey this year. They had good basics in place, but they'd never collected the data from you know, ground zero of no ethnicity data in a you know, 6,000 person business. They're at 83% disclosure within one year. That's way beyond their expectations. And at a point where actually you are ready to report. Fantastic. No, that's really helpful. I mean, these are real ideas, practical ideas, what boards could do to change the racial diversity. What are the three things listeners should take away from this podcast? So the three things for me, so the, the age-old adage you know, applies, what gets measured gets done. So make sure you've got targets in place and that your board and your ex-co team, you know, incentives are linked to those achievements against race and diversity. Improving diversity in your business and your board is a board-level issue. It requires your board's attention. You know, use the skills and resources of you know, your organization's ESG, ED&I teams, you know, champion and support them and challenge them, but don't just delegate. Mm -hmm. you, you need to take ownership of this. And thirdly, you won't always know the solutions. You know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, develop a peer network that can, you, know, you can count on for help and support. Fantastic, Richard. Thank you so much for contributing. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Sabine. Really enjoyed it. You know, I hope if anyone listens to this podcast in five years' time, they will say, why did they do a podcast about this topic? As long as we need to talk about it, it is an issue. And I hope one day we all don't. How can we help you and your board to become more effective? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. Get in touch. You can best reach us on info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.